My name is Sandy Lamprock. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety birth date is December the 7th, 1990. Um, it's good to be here this morning. Thank you for those that asked me to speak and, and try to do this thing. Uh, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about because i got a lot to say. Um, I started this past week on, I had a whole, well, almost a whole year to think about this thing and, and really kind of kept pushing it in the back of my mind the whole year up until about Wednesday. And uh, so when I got with my sponsor trying to put my thoughts together, um, I, like Madeline, had ended up had about three notes of material and all this good stuff that's on paper. Well, night before last, I started looking at it. I can't cover that much material in one hour. So I had to narrow it down. But anyway, uh, my home group is the pri primary, uh, mm, primary purpose group in Wilson, North Carolina. This is my third home group. Uh, each group that I've ever been a member of has been solid, good three legacy group, uh, strong ethic of sponsorship and home group. Now, real quick, I apologize if I sound hoarse. That's because I am hoarse. I, Monday, I started getting a sore throat and, and I thought it would pass. Well, it didn't. It just got worse. By Thursday, I just about couldn't hold my head up. So I'm, that's what's wrong. I'm coming down off a of cold. And so I'm all prepared, cough drops and, and all sorts of things. My concern was I got so much congestion. My concern was if I tilted my head, all that congestion and snot would <laughs> So forgive me if I got to blow my nose, but it, much better if I blow my nose and you see snot coming down my nose. Anyway, I know that's, that's kind of perverted, but. So, I, I appreciate um, whoever puts this on, putting this on. Uh, this is my fourth one. I can tell you, it, this is kind of bittersweet. I think in 2021 was about the second one we came to, and it was in the heyday of COVID. And um, there was so many radical sides about the mask and, and just so many different opinions on that thing. It's like, I trust God, I'm going to be okay. I mean, we're just going to be fine. Well, four of us came down here and I convinced um, three of my sponsors, well, one of my sponsors and two of hers, that we were going to come to this thing maskless. And the only smart one was, was Ernestine, who did wear the mask. Can you hear me plainly? Because I, I wear a hearing aid, which makes this a little bit more difficult. So it's important that you hear me and I don't hear you. So anyway, we came down here. I'm off, you know, no mask. You know, it's a good, wholesome day, good fellowship, good message. And, and so Ernestine's got her mask on, and, and I respected that. And... The three of us are walking around, yucking it up, playing around, laughing, talking, and we have a real good all day. Well, it was some days later that that we got sick. So four of us that, that left 2021 spring into action uh, that I know of, um, that we, I rode separate, but three came down here together. It, we three, four of us ended up with COVID and, and, um, I have to make mention of Ernestine. She passed away with it. So I don't even know why I'm telling that story other than it's just a memory. And um, I stand here with a head cold, and that's okay, too. 
The program is more powerful than, pro than the problem. So the program's gonna carry me through this, this cold, head cold, whatever it is. I've had some major illnesses since I've been here and everything I've encountered has carried me through. Um, the program has it, also the principles. So I've shortened my two, two sheets of notes down to one sheet, but I guarantee you I'm not gonna hit everything. Let me identify real quick uh, of being an alcoholic. I said my sobriety day, my home group. Okay, that's, that's, that's routine. Um, I'm an alcoholic. That means that I can't drink safely. I can't drink normally and, and couldn't drink like my grandmother could. I couldn't drink like my, some of my friends could. I just drank like a pig, like Jim Holmes would say. I just drank like a pig. I drank one to two places. Either I'd pass out or get violently ill, which... Whichever came first, that's where it ended. Uh, I do know after learning that I was an alcoholic and then identify my alcoholism, I do know that something was severely wrong with me from the get-go, way before my first drink. I, I, I suffered from a lot of fear. I suffered from a lot of anxiety, uh, no self-confidence, uh, insecure. I was scared of people. I was scared of anger. I was scared of little boys. I, the way you, a little boy, would, you, I could tell you I liked you was I would go up to you and hit you or punch you in the face and then just take off running. And that's the only way I knew how to tell a little boy I like you. I couldn't do the yes or no thing. It just, I was bizarre. I was just, I was bizarre. So that didn't move any. I mean, it didn't move through childhood, didn't move through adolescence and and I didn't know what was wrong other than I always felt different. Even in my family, in school, um, in the neighborhood, I, just, I was just different. I do know that drinking alleviated a lot of that fear, took a lot of that insecurity away. I was full of confidence. I was extremely secure. I mean, I was hot. <laughs> I was just, I was good to go when I was drinking. Uh, I could talk, I mean. I had it going on. Uh, the bad news is, is, is an alcoholic's going to learn that that's what works and they can't give up on it. They keep going on and on and on and on. So, I think my entire drinking career was like 14 years and that's thank, thankful, thankfully by the grace of God that's all it took. Got here when I was 31. But I will tell you, this, this is exciting for me to talk to you about what has worked. Um, I'm very fond of saying that I'm not the same woman that I was when I came in. Um, there are parts that I can turn around and see that she existed. There are times that I can turn around and say she could come back. Um, there are times that I know that she's not gonna go anywhere. Like I said, that the program's more powerful than any problem because when I got here in 1990, I could have told, I thought, honestly believed that drinking was my problem. I thought alcohol was the problem. Well, what I was to learn after, you know, getting dry and, and starting to come to, oh my God, life was going to come, it was going to hit me when I least expected it at any time at its will. And I, that I didn't see coming. What I seen was I couldn't drink safely and I wanted to stop that. I wanted to stop drinking and life be hunky-dory, and that was not to be. Um, I have two watches up here. 
So if that tells you anything, I'm afraid of going over. Uh, I don't think that's ever happened. Now, Steve is, you know, he, he tells me not to go over, but he's gone over sometimes. <laughs> he has, he really has. He won't admit it, though. Um, so, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, when I found out in this, this treatment center, I've been to product of two treatment centers, and um, it didn't take me a third time going into an institution because I knew that my ex-husband was not going to pay $10,000 for another big book, wasn't going to pay for another stint in treatment. He just wasn't going to have it. So I had enough sense to know that there were other people staying sober on the heels of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I figured, well, hell, if they can do it, I can do it too. So I'll, I'll give it a try. So when I came in, my first home group was, was Principal's Group of Wilson, one of the finest groups ever around. And it's the group that helped grow me. Um, when I walked in, and what I did was I came into a fellowship. I walked into a fellowship. It, it included a basement, a church basement. But what I actually came into was a fellowship of alcoholics that were recovered. Some were in different stages, but for the most part, the group that I grew up in was strong and solid in my eyes. There might have been various degrees of um, sober years, but still, they were just a recovered alcoholics, and that's all I needed. When I came in, and there are some people here that are present today that, that knew me from the first meeting. They knew me when I, when I came in, and, and uh, I was just getting sober, um, coming off a of drunk, and, and if you... And I'm sure they probably can't remember now, but what I remember is, is I was scared. I was insecure. I couldn't look you in the eyes. I couldn't even say my first name. I could barely say I was an alcoholic. Um, but it, that's just how I came in. I had no expectations other than I just want to stop drinking. I don't want the repercussions or consequences of drinking. I just want to stop drinking so much. Um, so I, I was kind of clueless at what to do with that kind of inward fear, that insecurity, that, that no, not knowing what you think about me, like it's, if you cared what I look like or sound like. But all that fear was turned inward to, to everybody was looking at me making assumptions. And that's all in my head. So in, in walking into this group, uh, there was a couple of women there. And keep in mind now, where I got sober was Wilson's a city. It's a, it's a small city. It's not like Raleigh, but it's rural. Um, you're not going to find big, great big groups of Alcoholics Anonymous like you do in Raleigh or Greensboro or Wilmington. So it's a very rural area. So when I got there, there was just a handful, sprinkle of, of women in, in various stages of sobriety. They were friendly, they were nice, and when I had met one while I was in the last treatment center, that fortunately I had her phone number, and she was there in that group, and she came up to me and she welcomed me back in, and, and she says, let's get down to business and, and let's do some stuff. Because I'd ask her, 
after coming back, I'd ask her, will you work with me? Now, I didn't know what I was asking. I didn't have a clue as to what, what that meant. I just knew other people were saying it, so I did it too. So all that fear, mind you, didn't shift right away. It, took, it would take a long time before that self-centered fear would finally somewhat decrease. But she's a woman that, that was a sober a little bit longer than her. What I seen was somebody confident. She wasn't drinking, she was confident. She was beautiful. Um, she had a good boyfriend. She had a professional job. I mean, she was the epitome of an independent woman, which is what I wanted to be like. So after agreeing to work with her, not knowing what was coming down the pipe, I thought we were just going to sit around and talk about my woes and, and my drinking and my husband and my child and my parents. I thought, you know, we were going to do some kind of group therapy, but that was not to be. I learned very early on this was not going to be about talking. I learned early on, uh, it, well, about after three years, I learned early on this, this was not going to be based on how I felt. Everything I've done in Alcoholics Anonymous has not been uh, principally wise, has not been based on a feeling. I was introduced to the, the principle of I don't care what you feel, just do it. Especially if it's a spiritual principle. And that's what sustained me so far. But one of the first actions she's taught me was I don't care how scared you are, how, how fear, fearful you are, or what Paige thinks about you, or what Jerry thinks about you, what Steve thinks about you. What I want you to do is when you go in that basement, since you've got all this fear, you're going to go around the room, and you're going to shake everybody's hand, and you're going to look them dead in the eyes, and you're going to say, welcome. My name is Sandy. I'm glad to see you. I was petrified petrified. I could do the handshaking part and welcome, welcoming you, but I couldn't look you in the eyes. And that was okay. So when, when I think about principles, I don't think about those, those unified step, those unified principles that sit behind a, a step. For me, what the principles are is the foundation of the step. It's what moves the step. It's the one, it's the most simplest thing that I can grab onto and practice right away. And that was the first action that I was introduced to, to stop that self-centered fear. Well, she had me shake your hand and say, welcome, how are you doing? Glad you're here. I'd never done that. That was foreign to me. And I did it at every meeting. Now, mind you, principal's group met three to four times a week. There were three meetings weekly uh, with a fourth meeting, um, two meetings on Friday. And that's what it took to get me sober. The other thing is, I gotta mention this. When, when I got to, to um, principal's group, when I got to principal's group, now I have to say this, I did not get sober on the big book, believe it or not. We didn't read the big book, not to my knowledge or my memory, did we read the big book in, in principles group. What I got sober on was daily reflections, the 12 and 12, any AA literature. But the big book just kind of sat over there and, and collected dust. Now, mind you, I stayed sober for you. I said, well, I've been sober then, but it sustained me. 
It was, it was simple, simple literature that I could grasp, especially the daily reflections. If you've ever read that, it's very simple and it takes you back to the big book. But it was that stuff that, that sustained my big mind. I couldn't comprehend anything other than that. It would be four years before Don Pritz came to North Carolina. He took those four first men and, and um, Wilson through the book, and it was shortly after that he took me and two of my women through the big book, and that's how the big book caught on. And um, it, 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 it ever evolves, it grows and grows, but because more I see, I see in the big book, the more our history and how rich our history is and how that history is connected to my own history. So it's important that we stay that stay in the book. Um, but for simplicity, because I was so confused with my own stuff, I think it was necessary that I learn simple on simple terms. And that's how it worked for me. My first sponsor actually took me through the 12 and 12. That's kind of heavy duty reading because Bill Wilson was 17 or 18 years sober at that time. So his problems were big. I mean, they were big at the beginning, but they were, they were getting bigger. So it was necessary for him to write at that time, but it's, it still worked. So after a while, I became um, involved in this group through service work. Uh, I was taught how to cook coffee. Now, I'm an only child, a very self-centered, yeah, I'm an epitome of that self-centered child that's on the poster. This is a picture of a self-centered child, it's a spoiled rotten brat, that would have been me. So in growing up, my mother, she tried to teach me how to cook and clean and you know, all the domestic skills and I just chose never to get on that boat. I didn't want to learn how to cook. Didn't want to learn how to clean house. I didn't want to learn how to be domesticated. So I missed those skills. So in this group, um, had another young woman um, teach me how to cook coffee. Now this was the first time I was introduced to chairing a meat and I had to be taught how to done that. But coffee was a big deal because I wanted this coffee to turn out real good because we had a lot of coffee drinkers and I wanted everybody to like the coffee. So it was important that that coffee turn out well. So Don had wrote, actually wrote out the uh, instructions on how to cook coffee, cook the coffee in this pot. And I followed the directions and it, it's as simple. It, you just follow directions. It's in the big book. Um, so that's what I did was I followed her instructions on how to do that. Um, there were so many principles that, that, that I was introduced to. Now keep in mind, for me, principles look like action. They don't, they're not a word. They're not something we sit around with a group and talk about. Um, they're actually things that I put into to action that's paved a way for me to where I'm at right now. Um, I was socialized in this group. This is where I learned about social responsibility. Because in this group were, uh, remember now, Wilson's a rural area. There's not a lot of women. And it was after a year and a half that my sponsor decided to get married. Moved to, well, she didn't get married, but she moved to Virginia. Dawn went to Raleigh to go to college. And unfortunately, we had another woman there, but she was just drunk. 
So you just left me, no women in AA, and so I've got these men that I kind of got sober under the, in the shadow of. So I'm going I'm to I'm stay here because what I noticed was I was not drinking. I, had, I was somewhat happy, but I still didn't know how to do life and didn't know life was going to hit me full force later on in the years. But I had, I had kind of carved my place in AA. I, I, had, I, had, I don't want to say earned a seat, but I took a seat. And it was the first time that I actually sit down in Alcoholics Anonymous and became a part of a fellowship. And this fellowship included other alcoholics. I did not know that God was preparing me for what was to come down the road. I think he was silently telling me, stay in action, keep learning, keep walking, keep practicing, keep moving. Don't let up on your spirit or don't rest on your spiritual laurels because you might get blindsided. So actually what was what was to come down the road was um, in 1992 um, my first bout with grief was about to occur. My mother got really sick. Now remember, I'm, a, I'm an only child, I'm a spoiled, rotten child, and I'm a spoiled, rotten, grown woman. Uh, I've got a mother, I've got a father, and I've got an ex-husband who are now taking care of me. That's all I need, I just need three people. <laughs> just give me money, do my shopping, I mean, please, do you, y'all take care of me, and, and I'll just sit back and just enjoy the show. Unfortunately, um, I learned about death. Now, it was not going to be the first time death has come to visit this, this sober alcoholic. But what I learned was, was through sponsorship was um, it's now your turn to take care of her. You know, she took care of you for 31 years, so let's, let's kind of turn the page and see what this is going to look like. The principle to be, to be practiced is, is you give back. You give back to that woman just as she's given to you all these years. And I did the best I could, the very best I could. And when she left out of here, I was able to make amends to her. Um, I had AA rally around me. I had a home group that rallied around me and supported me through that. Uh, but in the back of my mind, I still got two people. I'm going to stay in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm going to have these two people behind me because I'm still not knowing what's coming down the road. Um, it was during this time that I, I got, um, was able to, to, to get work in the, in, in, in a, I got employed, I got a job. That's my first work with the Department of Corrections and I got it through contract work. Uh, Steve and Tom Ivester was, helped me through that and and so it was my first introduction to being self-supporting. I never worked in a, uh, a semi-professional world. I come from a long line of textile workers who generations upon generations actually picked cotton and started with the cotton all the way into the cotton mill. And that's how my family, generations and generations, and I just stepped into their shoes. I just followed them. Uh, I was basically uneducated because when I um, 17 years old due to my drinking and, and um, 
I dropped out of school six weeks before graduating because I couldn't stay sober. I couldn't stay away from the uh, away from those people across the tracks that were engaged in illegal activity. That was my attraction. So as a result of that, I ended up dropping out of school six weeks before graduating, and it killed my parents. It just it just killed them because all they ever wanted for their baby girl was to 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 go to school, get a diploma, get into the work world, and uh, do something good for your life. But I just could not do it. I couldn't stay sober. Um, responsible employment, and that's my first introduction was through the Department of Correction. It was also my first uh, introduction to being fully or self-supporting. And what that meant was um, when I am at my home group, when the baskets passed, um, I started out with a dollar, got increased to two dollars. And I thought that was big. I mean, I don't know how long I'm able to afford two dollars. Well, it's going to get worse than that, Sandy. It's not, it was not going to stay two dollars. But um, I, I, as much as I take those two dollars and just grip, put it in the basket, I put it in the basket. And after a while, through that practice, through that action of that self-support, it got a little easier. And not only did it get a little easier, I started to contribute something to my family. Wasn't a lot, but it was something. And, and, and I was introduced to the, the concept of being of giving back financially, whatever money I had. Well, that was to come down the road, but it didn't start off. It was just an introduction. In learning in, in that home group and watching those people in that home group have active, full lives. Every week I'd see them come in Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday, and they had active, productive lives. And I recognized that, oh my God, I can, I, what I learned was I could take the principles in the home group. I could make coffee, I could serve a position, I could greet people now, but what I struggled with the most was taking them back home. And it's just I had that mindset set of closed-mindedness, stubbornness. It's just it was, I'd walk in, it would be Sandy as usual. Not the AA Sandy, but the Sandy as usual. Here she comes through the door. What's she going to start now? You can't live like that. You can't live like two people. Dishonesty will kill you. It will kill me. And um, eventually, after living in that kind of dishonesty, and, and my folks and my husband saying, well, when are, when are we going to reap the good benefits? When are we going to see that same Sandy in, in, in AA? Because what they were seeing, my, my ex-husband used to, uh, we used to have eating meetings on Saturday night, and he would come to them. This was a man that tried very hard to get on the Al-Anon boat, but he just could not. Um, he had spent too much time taking care of this drunken wife, and he thought that when I came into AA, he thought that Al-Anon would help him, but he just couldn't, he couldn't bridge over. But what he would see was when he would go to eating meetings, he would see this fellowship of happy people, and, um, and when he looked at me, he'd just seen a totally different woman. 
and it became it just was it became sad to me. And that's when I began to put a lot of effort into praying and asking God to change me. And that's when I realized this is not about drinking anymore. It's about becoming someone different. I, well, it was an idea. I didn't know how different it was to become. Uh, I knew I wanted to stop arguing. I knew I wanted to stop being honest. Um, I was still sober two years and stealing money out of the freezer. He had put in the freezer for bills, but I was stealing money out of the freezer to go clothes shopping. Sobriety, young sobriety. But the good news is I kept coming back. I, there was an old timer in my group by the name of Causey Williams. And back then we did a little chant after the Lord's Prayer. We don't do it now. But I would hear him at every at the end of the Lord's Prayer keep coming back. And I couldn't understand that. Keep coming back to what? I mean, it just keep coming back, keep coming back. Well, after a while I understood that if I keep going back principle in action, if I keep going back to my home group, I'm going to get better. Now, I didn't believe it. I just did it. And it was in that third year, and I'd said this a while ago, that I heard Steve, I was sitting across the table from him, and that's when I'd said this a while ago, that I understood, oh my God, this is not about what I feel anymore. This is about, it's about taking the action. Because I heard him say it, and it just like the, the light came on. Now, I didn't know that later on in the years that those feelings were going to get intense. They were going to get confusing. They were going to get especially convoluted. I mean, I'm talking about black, dark feelings. There would be joyous feelings. But I didn't know that I was simply going to have to take action regardless of how I feel however far down in the valley I was because I learned that the same God that walked with me in the valley is going to be the same one in the mountaintop. So I understood, okay, okay, okay. All right, God, this, this means that you and I got to get real tight now because I don't know how to do this. And it's, it was my first understanding of what humility meant. Humility means not for me not... And I've heard people talk about being humble, being less self-centered, but what it means to me is humility means to me is I simply don't know, show me how. I do not know anymore, show me how. And that I come to you on humble knees to show me how to do it right. And there's been experiences in my sobriety that's literally taken me to my knees to help prove that. So as I'm learning how to practice principles at home, I've got a three-year-old that there was at this time that there was started to be some troubles in my marriage. My husband didn't like it. Every time I walked out of the door three to four times a week, going to AA, I was getting it from him. You go to a meeting tonight, you're taking Megan. A principal's group has no babysitter. What, what, what am I going to do with three with a three-year-old? I started taking my daughter to meetings with me. Now, this is back in the early 90s, and, and not, knowing, not knowing people that babysit. I mean, remember now, I'm still closed a little bit, don't have no friends still. and So the only thing I could do was take that child to meetings with me. And so what I would do is I'd scoop her in the car. I had this 
big old yellow tank of a car. I, well, I think it was an old police car because it didn't have things in the back. You couldn't get out. But it was yellow. Steve called it a tank. And so it barely, I'm surprised, it, it was good enough for, to go to a meeting. And so it didn't have a heater. So I had to scoop her up in the car and blankets around her and, you know, make her warm. And then I'd start, stop at every other grocery store, McDonald's, and I'd get lots of candy and food and everything, color books, and, and just pray, just pray that she doesn't act out in the meeting. And, and I get down there with her and stick her in the room where our, our beginner's meeting was, and she did fine. She was very well behaved, and, and I mean, she, she was, she's a, an AA child. She grew up in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Short, well, fast forward it real quick, and then I'll come back to, to the journey. My granddaughter, who will be nine in May, she's now coming to meetings, and, and she loves AA. And, and I often tell people, and she will now tell people, that she now knows how to drink AA coffee and cuss. So, <laughs> I said, you go, kid. Well, that's exactly right. That, I know that's a bad example, but she does. But she loves AA. She loves the people in AA. And uh, she, she loves the coffee, and no, she don't cuss, but you know, she hears grandma say some bad words, which <laughs> anyway. So that's, that's, if we were to talk about principle in, 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 in everywhere, in everywhere, this is getting down to my child now, this is getting down to my grandchildren, uh, and it goes much, much further. Like I said, there were problems in the marriage and uh, come home one, one night and first speaking at Fountain Correctional and, and my ex-husband says, oh, I'm out here. Well, I thought everyone was going to the grocery store, but that's not the case, that he, when he's out here, he meant he's out here. In 1996, and, and I'm sober six years, and I'm saying, oh my God. You know, I'm working, I'm, I'm a full-fledged AA member. I've not let up on going to home group and being a part of, I'm now, um, self-supporting and, and he's out of here what he, he just couldn't do it and, and, and the day I don't blame him he had to because he watched his wife he watched a fellowship embrace her and love her until now she loves herself when she liked herself he watched a woman change the woman that he probably wished he was introduced to and married um, change into the woman that he wished he had from again I suppose so he, he just couldn't, he couldn't get on. And so he left, and, and I, I let him go. Now, it was, it was a lot of bitterness and anger and, and a lot of resentment attached to that, but what I didn't know was God's preparing me. I got one person left in my life, but he's preparing me to really strike on this journey by myself. And it was coming, but I didn't see it coming because I still had my dad back here and... Now I'm, I'm doing, I'm, the principles have, have turned me into a, a loving daughter now and, and, and a loving mother and, and doing the best I can. And uh, I didn't know what was to come, but what Alcott's Anonymous taught me is it's about what you do and not about what you feel. I'm still self-supporting at this time and, and um, I gotta mention this. So after my, my um, ex-husband left, um, there was a period of time 
when he was gone that um, I lost my sponsor, meaning that she just got married and had moved to somewhere else. And that was in the day you did not have cell phones. All you had was a, the rotary phone, and that's all you had. And it was at that time long distance you'd pay like $2 for a minute. So it, long distance sponsorship was, you just couldn't hardly do it unless you were super rich and you had a good car and didn't have any children. So, I mean, like I said, you know, I grew up in a shadow of men, strong men. I was in a rural area, and it was in 1997. During this, this really bad time with my ex-husband, I needed someone to go to the courthouse with me because I was scared to face him and that girlfriend. And um, I was scared to go by myself. And I, you know, my sponsor now is Steve. He, he they raised me, he'd raised me since I'd been sober day one. And we were down in uh, Tom's group, and it was in 1997. But I, I'd been thinking about quite a few people, but he'd always, if I knew that if I wanted to grow, that he was mean enough to do it. Because he was, he was mean, he was just mean. And I knew, so I intuitively knew that this whole operation doesn't care about what you feel. It's going to be care about what you do. And so we're out in the parking lot. I said, you know, will you be my sponsor? And he simply said, well, I thought I always was. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, Grant, okay, so it was cemented now. Um, got through that divorce, and um, it ended up as best as it could. I mean, but it was also at this time that I started having a problem with that 15-year-old daughter I got. Um, now, I have no parental skills. I just know how to be loving and just throw money at you. I just, that's all I know how to do. Uh, at 15 years old, actually my daughter stole the first car at the age of 12, and it was my, my father's car. And when the police called me, they had pulled her and another little girl, 12 years old, mind you, up in the middle of Rocky Mount. And Rocky Mount's not like it is now, but they call it Murder Mount now. Um, they pulled her and a little friend in my, my father's car, and I'm frantically calling Steve, what do you do? What do you do? I don't know what to do. So, I mean, it was at this time that we, we started having some serious problems with her. And... and um, Steve has two daughters that he's been able to successfully raise, and, and he's passed on to me those skills that, that I think any fine woman in AA could have done just as good. So I had no problem with talking to him about my daughter. Um, you know, whatever was going on with her was just, it was not that important. So it, the sponsorship thing started to really get... Um, I understood that the relationship had to continue to grow and I had to continue to be humble and, and forever seek him was saying, I don't know, show me, tell me, teach me what to do. I don't know because the longer that I'm sober, the, lo the less that I do know. I don't know any more about my sobriety than you do. But I've got one person in front of me that's been sober longer than me, for the most part has the answers. Doesn't tell me what to do, just gives me, these are the set of principles that you follow. I promise you, if you don't veer from them, you're going to be fine. And that's never failed me. Um, 
So God says, I think you're ready now. And so what that looked like is this, Megan and I come home from a meeting one night, and uh, my dad is, uh, has emphysema and COPD, but smokes. And not only that, he uh, has wears an oxygen tube and walks around in the house when he can walk. And I come home, Megan and I come home 15 minutes, and I hear him screaming in the, the bedroom. And I run, go running down the hall, and he's on fire from his feet to his knees. Now, that would sound tragic, but it was truly a time that God says, you're really ready now. He ended up dying a couple of days later. I end up in the hospital. Well, I end up with first, second, third degree burns on my hands. That night, the night that my, my mother died, the, the night that, that my husband led, the day my dad died, I was, at a home, I was at a meeting that night. It did not take me away. I might have been crying my eyeballs out. I mean, you could tell something was wrong. But I knew, I knew this was the answer, despite what I feel. So God, while he was finally saying to me, as a result of these actions taken and the result of you understanding what a principle is, the principle has become the foundation for the step. It's the simple action of suiting up and showing up, being consistent. By this time, I was sponsoring a lot of women. I was active in their lives. That self-centered started to be reduced because I was more focused on helping them. But when my dad died, I understood, oh my God, this is me, me now by myself. It was me, myself, and I. And that scared little girl that was always scared you were going to leave me was now truly left because the three main people in my life were now gone. But God says, you're ready. You are ready. I've worked with alcoholics professionally and per, uh, personally for many years. And the number one fear that I've always identified is I'm scared of being alone. I don't want to be by myself. I'm up here to tell you, I'm an example. It's going to be okay. I have not died yet. And to tell you the truth, I mean, the more that I'm by myself, as long as I got you wrapped around me, when I get home at night, I can breathe a little bit. And it's okay with me and God and my dog. I got a 14-year-old dog. I'm okay. I'm okay. It opened up the door uh, for really walking this path by myself. God and I got tight. We got really tight. We grew. The relationships with my, the women I work with started to grow. And I began to, uh, to help them understand this is not about what you feel. I don't care what you feel. Just do it. Because it's what's worked for me. Where, where, where simple things such as you know when your home group meets, Mondays and Thursdays, that's where I'll see you. Unless you're, 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 you're in the hospital or dying, I'll see you Thursday night. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked in my home group just about death, death, dying from being sick. I was there Thursday night. That's the worst night I felt this whole week. But I was there. And they can read when I'm sick. Um... And it was the first principle, you suit up and you show up. You're now a social, you're a responsible member of AA, act like one. 
Not only that, it's be grateful. Grateful is gratitude's not a feeling for me, it's an action. I'm grateful this morning. Uh, it's, 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 it's me doing this talk is, is, is an example of how grateful I am to you for my sobriety. And only by the power of God allowed that. Because when I, back then, I couldn't see what was going to happen now. I just had to be willing to allow you to change me and help change me. Just give me some instruction. And the longer that I was sober and the more life put more and more on me, it brought me to my knees to where you can't do nothing but practice principles. I can't tell you that after my dad left out of here and I understood that, okay, this is going to be a single journey, I'm going to be okay. Um, I understood that, that I was going to be a woman of Alcoholics Anonymous and whatever that took, I was going to try to be the best I could be because there were women back of me that was suffering with the same issues that I had and I knew I had some experience, strength, and hope to pass on. That GED or the, 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 the high school dropout, it, it got her GED before 1990, but it actually went back to college uh, at North, North Carolina Wesleyan College and ended up getting my bachelor's degree in criminal justice and psychology. Now that was going to open up a door that God says, you're, you're, I'm preparing you some more for some more stuff. So that simple of action of going back to school and that simple action of studying, but keeping Alcoholics Anonymous and the things I do here, first and foremost, you can do this on the side. And so I ended up graduating with a bachelor's degree. Uh, my life was full in Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm working full time. It was also during this time that um, I'm self-supporting that $2 went to $5, and I just about had a heart attack. Because see now, I, I had that mentality of those people taking care of me. Even though I was self-supporting, you know, coffee, you know, prices increase. I mean, cups, coffee, sugar, I mean, gas, I mean, things increase. And, and so it was around that in the middle of 2000 that Steve says, uh, $2, what's $2? I mean, I go to Starbucks and get a $5, $6, cup of coffee. What's, what's up with that? You know, that's where I understood that, that the fellowship that helped grow me, that that was, that would, it could be a little way that I could show gratitude back to this, the fellowship that Chad was started with Frank Buckman, that I owe it, I owe it to our legacy monetarily, financially, and my time. So I owe it to it. Um, it was also at this time too, the time when it was right when my dad left, God said the time is right. It was also at this time too that uh, I got this little bachelor's degree. I've moved over to the Department of Corrections into a professional, more professional sleep work world and I'm working in a high dollar uh, treatment field that's actually turned into a prison but it was still high dollar, still fancy. I thought I'd get a little bit more educated. So I, I, you know, I, I enrolled in the master's uh, program at Liberty University and I'm taking you know, uh, professional counseling and, and I ended up graduating with, with 
good grades. I mean, I'm not dumb anymore. I mean, that I went from a high school dropout to a master's degree. That's pretty phenomenal. I mean, the program is more powerful than the problem. So I get a little smart, get that little degree, and a couple of years later, I'm thinking, you know what? I think I, you know, I'd like to go a little bit higher. I was thinking about my doctorate degree. So I go to Steve and I says, "What do you think? I, I could do this. I could, I could get my PhD, PhD, my, my doctorate degree, and in, in, in something else, and make more money." And he said, "Oh no, you won't." He said, "You went crazy, and I almost went crazy with you. You will not go back and get that." So I almost drove him crazy too during that time. So I didn't go. I settled with uh, what I could, in terms of I could afford. Not only money, but my time. Because when you do go to school, you work full time, you have a child that's still in, in the problem area, AA still comes first. And that's the first principle that I was introduced to. Well, one of the top that AA comes first in my life. There are going to be times when there's a higher calling, and I think that, that with the collaboration of your sponsor or my sponsor and myself, if that requires that to like miss a meeting or change a, a appointment or whatever, that will be between me and him and God. But it won't be left up to me because I seem to make a mess of things. Um, so five dollars went to the basket. I got to say this, 2017. When I got into in 1990, I gained a lot of weight. I transferred my drinking to Whoppers and Coke or Pepsi. <laughs> Every meeting I'd stop by the convenience store, get two box of Whoppers and a Pepsi or Coke, and I'd eat them to Wilson. Well, you gain a lot of weight that way, and I gained a lot of weight. I used to say it was 100, but I was exaggerating. I just like to exaggerate that way, but it's actually about 80-something pounds. 2016, um, I'd had enough. Now, I'm here to, to tell you, I did not have a gastric bypass. I did not have any surgery, nothing, nothing. I had no surgery. What I simply did was I surrendered. And I put myself in, I threw myself under the care of a doctor in Rocky Mount that ran a weight loss program. And I said then, if I surrender to you, I promise I will follow everything you tell me to do, I will do. And it was about two years I managed to drop all that weight. And some of you remember how heavy I was. You remember how heavy I was? I was a big girl. And it was through a simple action that she, she, she told me about. She taught me how to eat. She taught me about exercise. And I kept the exercise simple. I kept those simple actions at work. Our hall was from here to, the, to that other church. That's how long our hallway was. And she said, Sandy, if you'll take that simple action two times a day, go up and down that hall four to five times a day, two times, the weight will come off. Simple. Simple. I had heard people doing that but didn't want to do it. But when you are in a place where you're, you're sick and tired and you're ready to, to change, it will happen. I knew, I knew then that, that I was, this, I was going to sit, sit in a chair. I was going to sit deep down in the chair in AA. 
that I knew the outside had to look like the inside. That, that it just had to match up. It just had to match up. So in that time, if it took about two years, I managed to take that weight off and, and uh, I feel better. Uh, it's not easy because I can treat food just like alcohol. But what I do with those things today is I always take it back to the principles that are underneath the steps. I can pra- I can say I can I can say I'll take the steps, practice the steps, and then after a while, what I understood was the numbers just come off the steps, and I was just doing what I was shown and just taught to do. So the other thing, and I'll kind of um, end with this is. Um, there are two things I want to end with because the, the young lady that came in, her we're fond of saying my life's changed. We're so I hear it all the time. What for me has happened is I changed as a result of me re- not reacting to life or reacting to life through principles. The moment that inward spiritual change in God took over and started to use me, of course the outside started to change because I was making different decisions. It's, it's that simple. I didn't know that from the get-go. No, I just, just didn't know that. But some years ago, well, a few years ago, I, uh, my sister, Steve Sheriff, sponsors Laura Longmire in Virginia, she was putting on these retreats, and, and we would go up there in Virginia, and it's beautiful, and there were weekend retreats, and and Steve was uh, doing some stuff with Laura, and, and we had this cabin or this big mountain house, and we'd pile it in, and the whole weekend, we would just, it was just so spiritual, so spiritual. And so after a few of them, you know, we kept going. We'd go to the beach and mountains, and so we kept going, and we looked forward to them. Well, after a while, Laura's mother got extremely sick, and then COVID hit us. And so we were kind of left in the air without, we had a hunger for the fellowship. We were just hungry. So I got real smart. Got real smart. Sandy, why don't you do that? And I said, I can't do that, God. I just, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Because I got no organizational skills. And so I thought, I mean, what would it take to put like that on? Fortunately, I work with women. I sponsor women that have those skills. They know what to do. Just ask them. Humility at its finest. Terry, I don't know how to do this. Show me how. Kelly, show me what to do because I don't know how to do it. After a while, I, I learned that I can do it. So two times a year, what I try to do is I try to put on for my women, and there are women, there are women, there are women, full-day workshops, and, and we'll have Steve do something, and I'll make some, some comments and stuff. So that day we eat, we fellowship, we get to know who we are in the family, we get to know what is driving this this ship. I mean, it's just, it's so enriching to, to have that stuff that I, I that I've seen people doing, do. I was now able to give back. And I said, okay, I get it. This is my contribution. This is, this is, okay, this is what you want me to do. I can do this. And it turned into a three-year thing because now I do a, a small retreat uh, down in Camp Rockfish. And so, again, more people are gathered, and those people that are hungry, I'm able to now feed. And that's, I, 
1990, and that was not my goal. It was not my dream. I, remember, I just wanted to not drink and get drunk. That this is this is this sometimes is almost a dream. So lastly, I'll end up like this. Um, the program is bigger than the problem. The principles do change you. The, these run contrary to my basic nature. My basic nature is self-centered, dishonest, yucky, icky. These things run contrary to that. And the moment that I put this stuff into action is something different. You see a different person. You see a different woman. This is peace. This is harmony. This is love. This is kindness. This is all I ever wanted. And so I'm, I'm now, I'm, um, it's ever more telling. At work, people know that I'm, I'm different because I've been referred to as the voice of reason. I've now been um, in my, I moved over to a whole new work world um, where that master's degree now serves me well because it's, it, I'm fully compensated. But I've been pushed up into a regional manager's job, which now I've got 16 employees that I've got to kind of, in my mind, this is a newcomer. She's a newcomer. Just, just lift her out of the ditch, just like you would Pam or Kelly. Just pull them out of the ditch. You can do this. You know the work. Just get them out of the ditch. And that's how I've been able to, to, to try to manage these people. And uh, for man, for, from, from the high school dropout to the managerial role, and with, I'm fully well compensated. That young lady that was scared to lose those people that financially support her through action and action and principles and, and all those things that I'm, I'm putting in the footwork has now put me in a place to where I don't worry about financial insecurity. As long as I manage my money right, I'm good. And my goal is to leave this world without owing anybody, and my daughter's gonna be very well taken care of. I'm, I'm looking at her heritage, because I've now got six grandchildren, the youngest being 10-month twins. So now I get to leave something for them financially. And that's, from the woman that came in, this is, is a dream. So that's it. I I'm, thank you for your attention, and, and let's eat. Thank <laughs> you.